Well, in the 16th century, in precisely 1517, a new era dawned. It was an era of recovery, of retrieval and revival, of revitalization and renewal. It would be an era of reform. And that era has been called, yes, you guessed it, the Protestant Reformation. And it was during the Reformation in a place called Geneva, Switzerland, that one of the core mottos of the Reformation came to be. And that motto is, is this, post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. See, during the Middle Ages, that period of time before the Reformation, the Word of God and the Gospel of God had been obscured, lost in darkness. False authorities and false Gospels had risen up and darkness abounded. But it was in the midst of that darkness that Reformation brought a new day like the sun rising on a dark morning. And that new day, that sun rising, that new era led to a renewal of the sufficiency and authority of God's Word in the church. That bright new day brought recovery of the power of the Gospel. That bright new day brought true reform to the church. See, the Reformation brought a new era of true spiritual light and life in the midst of true spiritual darkness and death. And that Reformation would sustain from the 16th century all the way until now, and Lord willing, even more into the future. The Reformation is far from over. What we need to see is that the life and light of the Reformation predated the 16th century. It was kindled long, long, long ago. It was kindled all the way back in a person. A person who would be life and light. A person who would bring life and light to a dead and dark world. And we're going to behold Him. We're going to study Him this morning. So with that, please open your Bible to the book of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you do not have a Bible, you can find one in a pew near you. There's a blue ESV Bible in that pew. You can find the Gospel according to John on page 886. 886. And you will be helped, we will all be helped to keep our Bibles open to John chapter 8 this morning. And though we are going to be delighting in the whole, in the whole chapter, or most of the chapter that is, um, let's, let's drill down and just read one verse together before we pray and then walk through 
the majority of this chapter. Let's, let's read together from John 8, verse 12. Please listen. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is God's word to the church. Thanks be to God. Let's say that together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, let me pray and ask the Lord to bless the hearing and applying of His word this morning. Father, we come to Your Word this morning with hunger in our hearts. We come to Your Word this morning seeking Your presence and Your grace. We come to Your Word this morning seeking the life and light that can only be found in You. And so we ask that You reveal Yourself to us. We ask, Spirit, that You would humble us and renew us. That You would give us eyes and ears to see and hear the truth of Your Word. We ask that you would give us a supernatural focus this morning. We ask that you would stir our affections to a deeper love for Jesus this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, just to catch us up, since uh, most of us slept since last Sunday, and just to catch us up, here we are. Uh, on every page of John thus far, in this gospel account thus far, we have beheld the truth of Jesus and what that means for the world. We have seen Jesus, the promised Lamb Rescuer. Jesus, the Sovereign Relationship Initiator. The Great Sign Worker. The Kingdom Inaugurator. And the to-be Kingdom Consummator when He returns the new heart maker, the Messiah redeemer. We've seen that he is the savior healer, that he is the greater prophet and soul satisfier. And we have discovered last week that he is the true spiritual thirst quencher. He's brought living water to a thirsty world. And it's in chapter 8 that we discover that Jesus is the great light and life bringer to a dark and dead world. And that brings us to the main point of chapter 8 this morning. The main point, the, the world is dark and dead. But Jesus brings light and life to those who believe in Him. That's where the main point, the big idea of John chapter 8. The world is dark and dead. But Jesus brings life or light and life to those who believe in him. And our our passage kind of breaks down into two points. Point 1 will be that Jesus brings light to those who believe in verses 12 through 20. And then point 2 that Jesus brings life to those who believe in verses 21 to 30. So point 1, the light of Jesus, and point 2, the life that Jesus brings. And just to get our bearings, point one will be longer than point two. So let's dig in. In the dark world, Jesus gives point one, light to those who believe in him. Look with me at verses 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. And it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Well, before we dive into our verses this morning, maybe you noticed that I skipped over a section of this chapter, uh, verses uh, 53 of chapter 7 all the way through 8, uh, verse 11. And that was not an accident. That was intentional. And so much more could be said on this. A lot could be said. But here's just a, a brief note. Uh, John seven fifty-three through chapter 8, verse 11, contain a story. A great story that is worthy of reading at some point this week on your own time. And it's a story about Jesus going head-to-head with the religious leaders who are calling for an adulterous woman to be stoned. And Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the leaders and the sin in the leaders. And in turn, He doesn't endorse this woman's sin, but He does have compassion on her. He cares for her. And He he tells her, He exhorts her, go and sin no more. It's a powerful story, but there are some issues. Uh, The story likely wasn't written by John. And the story may not have happened. And this is why. Your your Bible probably has some brackets around it, uh, around that passage, a double bracket, and then with a note that says something like, the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. Do you see that in in your Bible there? See, the Gospel account of John was written in 85 AD under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it it came to us, those early manuscripts came to us with a cohesive whole without these verses included. These verses were added later in the 5th century. And though there is some debate on this, right? there is debate on this, a majority of biblical scholars and historians agree that this was not written by John, nor should it have been placed really in this chapter. See, though, um, though this Jesus encounter may have happened, it is certainly worthy of reading and study because it wasn't written by John, nor is it found in the early manuscripts uh, because it really doesn't really belong in this section of John. I will not be preaching it as authoritative Scripture this morning. Well, I don't want that to just kind of sit here in the room. I, I, if you have questions about that, come and speak to me. I'm going to be in, in the back, or I'll be over at the fellowship time after the service. I'd love to talk with you more about text authenticity, credibility, and historicity. So if you have questions, I'd love to talk with you about this specific passage. 
This should not make us question the authority or sufficiency of Scripture, but cause us to dive further in to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. But with that said, with that, in verse 12, we pick up where chapter 7, 52, left off on the last day of the festival of booths. And if you remember from last week, during the festival, there, there would be two ceremonies. There was a water pouring ceremony that we heard about last week, where the priest would pour water from the, the pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem into a bowl on the altar. And this celebrated God's gift of bringing water in the desert to God's thirsty and dying people. You can read of that in Exodus 17. This also celebrated the great prophecy of a river of living water that would flow from the Jerusalem temple in the kingdom of God, which is that imagery that we see from Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14. And as we read last week, that it was during this ceremony that Jesus stood up and cried out, I am the living water. That I am the great spiritual thirst quencher of souls. And then he invited all to drink from him and to drink of his gospel work to receive salvation. But there was another ceremony that would happen during the Festival of Booths. And it was a lighting ceremony. Toward the end of the festival, the multitudes would go down to a common courtyard. Uh, generally, uh, this was a courtyard for women to gather in the temple. And in this courtyard, there were golden lampstands. And each lampstand had four golden bowls on each lampstand with ladders that go up to each bowl. And the priest would pour oil into each bowl and then ignite the lamps. And the whole place would be lit. And the people would dance and they would sing Scripture in the light. And they would remember that in the very beginning, God said, let there be light. They would remember the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that, that led God's people through the wilderness, through the dark wilderness, into the promised land. And they would sing and dance, remembering the promise of Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 7, that a servant would come that would be a light to the nations that would open the eyes of the blind and that would set the captives free from the dungeon of darkness. And it's here in the midst of this lighting ceremony in this common courtyard on the last day, the, the great day of the festival that Jesus declares. He stands and declares the, the second I am statement in the book of John. He says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine the scene? And do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He is, he is saying that he is the true light, that he is greater than that pillar of fire in the wilderness. He is a greater light to the whole world. And that he has come to be God's very presence with his people. That's what the, the pillar of, of smoke and fire represented. God's presence with his people. He is saying that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, verse 2 that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For Jesus is. It says back in, in chapter 1, verse 4, that he is the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not, will not 
overcome it. And he's saying that the festival of tabernacles and its ceremonies of water and light all pointed to him. Again, the the festival itself, the ceremonies were not the point. They pointed to the point, and that is Jesus. For he has come into the dark wilderness of this world and has invited us to enter his presence and his kingdom of marvelous light in and through belief in him. And Jesus is saying that in and through his presence, his death and resurrection and ascension, that he is the greater light that has come to lead a new exodus, to save a people, his church from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, we see this taken a step further in verse 12 there. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't just declare that he is the light. He then says, if you follow me, if you believe in me by pure grace, then you, the hearer, the reader, then and now, will no longer walk in darkness, but walk in light. And we should note that that word follow there is, is the same word that's used back in, in John chapter 1 when, when Jesus commanded his disciples to do what? To follow him? To walk in the light with him? So brother, sister, believer, taking this to the pavement of our lives, we should be asking ourselves, what does it look like to walk with Jesus, to follow him and to walk in the light? Like, what does that actually look like? Well, I want to give you three, three things this morning. Three things. First, to follow Jesus and walk in his, in his light is to walk in repentance of sin. To walk in repentance of sin. Second, to, to walk with Jesus, to follow him, to walk in the light, is to also walk in belief in him. And third, to walk with Jesus, to follow him, to walk in the light, is to walk in ongoing fellowship with his people, the local church. Repentance, belief, fellowship. So let's unpack these. What does it look like to follow Jesus and walk in the light? First, it looks like walking in ongoing repentance. Those who walk with Jesus in his light walk in ongoing repentance of their sin. And before we define repentance, we should define sin. Sin is any word, thought, or action that is contrary to God's word, will, and way. The sin is. And in response to our sin, repentance is not simply remorse for sin. I feel bad about it. It's not regret over it. No. Biblical repentance is the ongoing, the ongoing truth of acknowledging our sin, because everyone in this room is a sinner in need of grace daily, acknowledging our sin, confessing our sin to Jesus, and then turning and walking away from that sin. That's what biblical repentance is. Church, 
a, a Christian is someone who is turning away from sin and walking toward Jesus and with Him in the light. And in order to follow Jesus and have fellowship with Him, we must not rationalize our sin or endorse our sin or be eh about it. But we ought to be killing it daily with the help of the Holy Spirit. For as John says in 1 John 1, verses 5-7, through 7, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, we are either walking in the light or we are walking in darkness. We're either walking in repentance and looking to the blood of Jesus. There is no in-between. So do you acknowledge, confess, and repent of your sin daily? Do you fight it? Do you hate it? Oh, if you desire to be a healthier and more faithful Christian, then we must day by day put to death our sin and continue to walk in the light of God's glorious grace and forgiveness through Jesus. You don't need a priest for this. Just need Jesus. It's your advocate. But he is also, but Jesus has also given you a people around you, right? He, Jesus saves people into a people, right? And, and so he has given you people to walk with, to help you fight sin, and to help you look to Jesus. It's called accountability. And, and if, you, if you're struggling with, with sin, you're, and you're seeking, and you would like to seek accountability, then, then come find me after the service. Find another elder. Find David, who led us in song earlier. We would love to talk with you about what it would be to walk with another brother or sister in the church, to walk in the light of the gospel. Well, a Christian who is following Jesus and walking in the light walks in daily repentance, but also, second, walks in belief. Repentance and belief, they go together, okay? They are inseparable. Uh, there are two sides of the same coin of faith. And repentance is meant to drive us into deeper belief in Jesus. One, uh, one pastor and writer says this, a Christian looks to himself or herself and her sin right, once, but then looks to Jesus ten times. That's belief. And so to walk in ongoing belief is to actively look to Christ and His gospel work daily to to look to Him as your hope and your help, as the object of your assurance, as the object of your faith and belief daily. And this is important because I believe it's really easy to fall into two ditches on the, on the path of, of walking in the light, uh, the walking in belief, okay? I think it's, it's really easy to fall into two ditches. The first ditch is that uh, we, we kind of sometimes treat repentance and belief, again, two sides of the same coin, as like a get-out-of-hell free card. Like, well, I did that once, like a long time ago, but now I'm good. 
But a Christian is, is walking in repentance and belief day by day. It's an ongoing reality. There's also another ditch. I, I believe if we've been a Christian for some time, then it's really easy while we're walking through the dark valleys of this life, either through loss or some affliction or, or some sin struggle that's besetting us, I think it's very easy to, to take our eyes off of Jesus and to set them on people, places, and things that were never meant to bear the weight of your, of your sin, of, of your struggle, of your, of your belief. So brother, sister, are, are you walking the path of belief and looking to Christ daily? Are you opening your map? God's Word, and walking with it open. It is a lamp to our feet and a what? Light to our path. Are you looking to Christ in, in the dark valleys of your life? If you wish to be a healthier and more faithful Christian, then look to Jesus in belief. And keep looking to Jesus in belief. and Open His Word day by day. And seek another brother or sister in the church to walk with you in belief. To point you to Jesus. To point you to his word. To point you to the life and light that is in him. If you don't know where to start with finding another person to walk with in, the, in this body, then, then come find me after the service. You can come find David. We would love to talk with you. Love to help you. Find another brother or sister in this church to walk with in both repentance and belief. Well, a Christian is one who walks in the light and follows Jesus by walking in ongoing repentance and also walking in ongoing belief. But third, we also walk in ongoing fellowship with God's people. You know, we're, we're never meant to walk alone. Just, just to, we need to remember that. We are not meant to walk in repentance and faith alone. God is community, three in one, and he has saved us and placed us into a community, other Christians. And if you are a Christian, then you are a lantern that is meant to be among other lanterns. I mean, there's a reason that Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, 14, he says to his people, his church global and local, that you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. There is a reason local churches are called lampstands in Revelation chapter 3 that are meant to brightly shine the truth of Jesus, their first love in a dark world. There's a reason that Paul says in Ephesians 5 that you were a child of darkness. You were children of darkness, but now you are what? Children of light in and through Jesus. The list could go on and on because the call to follow Jesus is always inseparable from the call to commit to walking in fellowship with Christ's people. And here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church, we call this membership. We call it church membership. And so let me invite you in February, we're going to have a membership class. We're going to walk through what this church believes and and we're going to walk through what it looks like to walk with one another. So let me encourage you to join for that. Whether, whether you, you've been a member at the church for some time, 
whether you've been regular, uh, regularly attending for some time, but have questions about membership, um, if you are kind of on the fence about it, maybe you don't see it in the Bible, you're like, hey, I have questions about that. You should come. Let's talk about membership, life in the local church. Also, come, you can come and join us for a conference that's happening in Portland the first weekend of March. If you'd like details on that conference, on this important topic, let, let me know. We're getting a small group of us to go. I'd love to see that group be larger from this church. So come, come find me after the service. I'd love to talk with you more about that conference. Brothers and sisters, the reason this biblical topic, the, the reason the local church fellowship and membership is so vital is because there is no such thing as churchless Christianity. There is, there is no such thing as that. One cannot faithfully walk with Jesus and not walk with his people. We need one another. We need committed, deep relationships in the church to grow, to flourish, to grow together and to mature spiritually. We need one another to walk with Jesus faithfully. So let's go into 2024. And let's, let's go into it together, walking in the light of ongoing repentance and belief and fellowship together. Well, how do the Pharisees respond to all of, all of what Jesus said and that he is the light and that those who walk with him are not walking in darkness, but walking in the light? What, what, how, how do they respond? Well, we see in verses 13 to 19 that they reject him. They reject the light. They reject following him, and this reveals that they are in darkness. They even attempt, if you saw there in verse 17, to, to kind of taint or destroy his credibility, saying that, well, he's just coming to testify of himself. No, no one else testifies of him like this. But Jesus says that he testifies of himself and that his Father testifies of the truth of who he is. And because they are rejecting him, they're also rejecting the Father, as verse 19 states. And what we must see is that all of this is connected back to chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, when the Jewish religious leaders that meet at the festival, God's historical people, were divided and incapable of seeing who Jesus is. They judged according to the flesh, as it says there in verse 15 of our chapter because they did not have the illuminating light of Christ in them. And this is, this is sadly still true today. Of those in, in, in Jewish regions, here in the states, among, among the nations, it's still a problem today. Well, it's in the midst of all of this that Jesus doubles down and he, he saves, he says, right here uh, in these verses. He says that I am who I say I am. <laughs> if you're paying close attention to the language of this section, did you notice that Jesus says that he judges and doesn't judge? Did you catch that in verses 15 and 16? And if you're paying close attention to the language, uh, he, he, we, we should be a little bit confused. Hold on. He, he's saying that, he, he, he's saying that he, he doesn't judge, but, but he does? Well, what, what does that mean? Well, here, here's what he means. Here, here's what he's saying. He is saying that he judges the hearts of men and women, both in the present and in the future, as we read back in chapter 5. But he does so perfectly. 
with mercy and with justice. And he does not do so wrongly, falsely, like the Jewish leaders and like many others in the camp, like many others there at the festival. So that's what we need to see here. And that ought to give us tremendous hope in him as the perfect judge. Well, the section ends in verse 20. Jesus says that, that, he, that he says these words there in the temple treasury, which is near the courtyard where the lamps were lit. But no one arrested him because the hour, the hour of his death and resurrection and his ascension, that's what that means, has not yet come. Well, as we bring the section to a, to a close here, what we need to see is the contrast that's happening between light and darkness. The contrast between those who are, who are following Jesus and walking in his light and those who are walking in darkness and walking in the way of the world, the darkness of the world. So where and how are you walking today? Are you in the dark? Or are you in the light? Are you spiritually dead? Or spiritually alive in Christ? This is where Jesus goes next. Spiritual death and life. And that leads us to point two. The world is dark and dead, but Jesus brings, point two, life to those who believe in Him. Look with me at verse 21, and we'll read through 30. And he said to them again, Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Well, Jesus has just said that he is the light of the world. And it's clear that the religious leaders are, are not a part of that light. <laughs> that they are in spiritual darkness. And it's here where Jesus takes the opportunity in these verses to connect what he's been saying about light and darkness to spiritual life and death. And he says here that he's going away. He's speaking of his ascension when he returns back to heaven to be with the Father. But the leaders, in verse 22, do you notice, they, they confuse this, and they say, is he thinking about committing suicide? And it's in the light of this that he, that he brings charges against them. He makes it clear that they don't know him, that they are not his, that they are from below and not from above and born of heaven. 
that they have not been brought from darkness into light, from death to life. And he says that they will die in their sins. He says that three times. That they will die in their sins if they don't, verse 24, believe that He is the Messiah, the light of the world. These are heavy charges. Can Jesus get any clearer? Well, they respond in verse 25, who are you? It's like they're saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? And Jesus says in verses 25 to 29, I am who I have been saying I am from the beginning. That I know God. That I'm sent from God. That I have the authority of God. That I am God. And then he says, verse 28, he says that you will know. This is, this is fascinating. He says, you will know that I am the Messiah. You will know this when you have lifted up the Son of Man. This is the greatest charge against the leaders of all. And it's the same charge that Peter makes against the masses at Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 23. He says to the leaders that those, those who don't believe and, and those who are also in the surrounding area that are also kind of on the fence and not believing there at the festival. He says to these leaders, who will lift up? Who will lift up the Son of Man? And, and I think we should be asking, what lifting up is he referring to? He's referring to the cross. Here, Jesus is foretelling his death, and he is speaking of the cross, which is the heart of the gospel. He's speaking of the cross, which is the place where he, the sinless lamb and light of the world, will become sin, so that all who believe in him might become children of God. He is speaking of the place where he would be lifted up to die as a substitute in the place of sinners. He is speaking of the place where he would take the punishment and wrath of God against your sin and mine upon himself. He is speaking of the place, the cross, where he would die, where he would descend into, into darkness and death so that all who believe might be lifted up in light and life. See, our biggest problem in this life isn't sickness. It isn't anxiety. It isn't addiction. It isn't fear. It isn't political upheaval. It isn't secularization. It is not the culture wars. That's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is the penalty of sin. That's our biggest problem. And that penalty has left us in, in spiritual death and, and darkness. But here is the good news, brothers and sisters. The good news of the gospel that, that Jesus took that penalty upon himself on the cross for all who believe in him. And he didn't stay on the cross. Because three days later, after being laid in a dark tomb, he arose from the dead, in resurrection, life, and life, so that all who believe in Him can look to Him, can be given life and light by Him, and be lifted up on the last day when He returns. Oh, there is, there's only one response 
to this good news, friends, one response, and that is looking to Jesus who was lifted up on the cross. Looking to Jesus who was lifted up in resurrection life and light. One response of, of, of repenting from your sin, turning away from sin and darkness and, and turning toward Jesus in belief day by day and walking in His life and light. The world is dark and dead, but Jesus brings life and light to those who believe. Amen? Amen. So friends, we aren't given new life and light because we grew up in a Christian family. We aren't given life and light because we made a childhood decision to follow Jesus that we have abandoned. We aren't saved and given life and light by going to church. We aren't saved to give a new life and light because we vote a certain way or because we're a good person or because we're so lovely and wonderful. No, the Gospel of Jesus alone saves us. This is the truth of the Gospel. This is our, our life and light. This is the message that we never get over. This is the message that we need going into 2024, brothers and sisters. So from one dying man to, to all of you, dying men and women, literally, physically, the gospel is our only hope in life and in death. And if you have questions about this, I'll be standing in the back after the service. I would love nothing more than to talk to you about the gospel, to talk with you about the life and light of Jesus to talk with you about what it would look like for you to walk in the life and light of Jesus day by day in the context of this church. But if you are a Christian, here's the good news of the Gospel. Here's the good news. You have been made alive in Christ. You have been marked safe from God's judgment. You've been saved from the second death. You've been marked safe in Christ today and on the last day of your life. And on the very last day when you stand before Jesus in judgment. Which is not an if, it's a when. Oh, Christian, if, if you are in Christ, if you have responded to the Gospel, then you are one of those who is, who is captured there in verse 30. You are one of those who believes. So, what assurance and what grace is this that we are saved eternally in Christ and that nothing can change that if you've repented and believed in the Gospel. You're continuing to look to Christ in repentance and belief. What grace is this that if, that if you have done this, then you have life and light in Him eternally? What grace is this that if you are in Christ, then you will on the last day, according to Revelation 21, that you will be engulfed in the light of Christ forevermore. For the new heavens and the new earth will not have a sun and moon. For the Lamb will be the light. On the last day, in the new heavens and the new earth, the glory of Christ will give it light. 
And all of those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will have life and light eternally with Him. Amen? That is good news for Christians in this room. What assurance and what grace is this? And what grace is it that that if we are in Christ and on the last day, as Revelation 2 says, that we will receive the crown of life? What grace? Well, we should close. In a world that is, is dark and dead, Christ alone has brought life and life to those who believe. And so my questions for you this morning, on the last day of 2023, the questions that we should have rattling in our, in our hearts and minds after reading a text like this, I really do want to put a rock in your shoe right now. Questions are, do, do you believe in Him? Are you walking in the light with Him? Are you walking in newness of life with Him and His people? Let's pray. Father, we pray and we thank You that You have made a way when there was no way through the work of Jesus. We ask, Lord, that You would increase our faith you increase our belief, that you would give us greater hope and fervor and love for the gospel. Not just today, in response to your word, but every day. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to teach us what we know not, to give us what we have not, and to make us what we are not. For our joy and your glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.